Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture and what they mean for today. But in these weeks leading up to Christmas, sometimes called Advent, we're going to be looking at Advent and Christmas songs, uh, one per episode, kind of unpack its history and look at the Scripture that kind of resonates with it, and then think about what it means for our life today. And I asked last time if people had um, a song or a hymn that they were interested in for the second podcast, and people came back with the beautiful O Holy Night. So without further ado, let's get pondering. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And so begins O holy night, arguably the most luxurious or decadent, just rich, powerful, mysterious of the, of the carols. It comes to us in uh, the 1840s from France, and what a fascinating story about how it emerges. Uh, kind of one of those, it, you wouldn't believe it if it weren't actually the truth. Uh, so there's an organ that's uh, newly built in a church in France, and the priest says, you know, this year for Christmas, I want to dedicate this organ, celebrate it, and so we need a poem need a poem to kind of uh, just, you know, thank everybody, I guess, for their donations, for the building, whatever. Okay, so he's like, well, who am I going to get to do this? Well, in his sort of parish, in his region, is uh, a poet, and um, the poet's last name is Chapeau. I think his first name is uh, Placide. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, um, but he, he asked this guy to write a poem, and I don't think the guy was, from what I can gather, was particularly involved in the church. Later on in his life, he would actually leave the church and become a socialist. But, you know, he says, so, thank you, priest, for this honor. And um, he goes on a carriage ride, meditates on Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, and he's just sort of inspired. And then he writes this, this beautiful poem, which he calls in French, Midnight Christmas. And as he starts thinking about it, he's like, hold on, I've got this beautiful poem. It's supposed to be for an organ dedication. We need to set this to music. So he's like, well, who can I get to set it to music? So he goes to his friend, Adolphe Adams, and says, Adolphe, can you write me some music for this? I've been asked by the priest, yada, yada, yada. And uh, then Adolphe Adams says, okay, I can do that. 
and then he puts it together uh, and they bring it back to the priest, and the priest has the brains to say, "Winner, winner, chicken dinner. This is uh, this is going to be excellent. So uh, let's you know r- let let's roll with this." And they get an opera singer to sing it uh, at the sort of that first year at the Christmas mass, and like wow, of course, everybody loves it. Well, that's kind of you know one side of the story. But I want to sort of tell you a little bit of the underbelly of the story. So it turns out that, um, again, like I mentioned, that this uh, writer of it uh, would later leave the church. But also the, um, the, the person who composed the music, Adolphe Adams, is actually a Jewish man. And so here we have this most beloved, sort of rich, luxurious music for this Christmas carol, uh, to an explicitly religious song um, in both the original French and in the English, uh, the music is written by somebody who didn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as Jesus as Messiah. Also, uh, when the Roman Catholic Church then in France found out about this, um, that, that it was written by somebody who was kind of a socialist and that there was a Jewish writer for it, they, they decide that they don't like the hymn. There may also, again, for reasons we'll go over later in terms of the content of the lyrics, they might have been uncomfortable with it, sort of the bourgeois establishment that the, the church represented. And so there's this, uh, there's this kind of way in which the, the hymn sort of has these strange, sort of almost out-of-the-church beginnings, and then for a while is almost kind of pushed aside uh, by the church. Well, that reality that there's kind of um, sort of two sides to history, uh, a side that's about sort of the brokenness and, and the sinful condition of humanity, um, the sort of estrangement from, from the religious community, um, the sort of way in which people in power sort of don't get it right and even abuse power. And on the other hand, somehow uh, God doing something good and God working over against that. To me, that's beautifully captured in, in the Gospel of, of Matthew. And Matthew has this prologue to his Gospel that a few of us as Americans take time to read. It's a genealogy. And, and again, in America, we're not, although there are some genealogy buffs, typically we're, we're not, um, we're more into the uh, future, maybe the present, more than the past more into the individual than the collector, right? We go by first names, not our family names. Um, there, there's a way in which we're just not as into sort of family lore as, as most other cultures are. So a genealogy is just not exciting for us typically. That, and it has all these names that, you know, are, are Hebrew, ancient Hebrew and we, we can't read them. They don't make sense to us. But if you just sort of take a look at it, uh, on the one hand, it's a very stylized beautiful summary of Jewish history. It goes from Abraham to David and then to Jesus. And there are three sort of paragraphs um, or three sets of this genealogy, each with 14 generations, and 14 is two times seven. And so then if you think about this, you have seven, 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 and the seventh of seven is going to be the perfection, and that is Jesus. 
and, and so again, you have this, and they even sort of break up into sort of like prehistory, and then you sort of have monarchy, and then you have sort of fall, exile, I mean. So you, you sort of, again, have this really stylized sort of history that shows that God is at work to sort of bring about something good in Jesus. But if you scratch the surface, then you actually uh, realize, uh, first of all, a lot of these kings that are listed in this genealogy, the Bible openly declares repeatedly in the Old Testament, citing those kings as really terrible human beings, that they were not viewed as good kings. Furthermore, uh, the, the women, sort of there's just a handful of women's names included, and almost all of those women's, women are involved in scandals or are themselves outsiders. And so Jesus' genealogy, again, at first, it looks like this beautiful stylized rendition of sort of purity, but then you start to look at it and realize there's wrinkles. There's things that, that don't match up. There's things that don't kind of fit so beautifully into place. There's, there's sin and brokenness and suffering and human pride and institutional failures, leadership that is abused. And, uh, and so here we then have, again, O Holy Night sort of echoing this, where I can tell you the one version of the story where it all works out and this beautiful hymn is written, or I can say, wow, you know, there's this sort of this strange history. There's wrinkles to it. My sense is that all of our stories um, sort of have two versions. One is the stylized version where sort of it, it all works out, um, and, and maybe even the only wrinkles we share are those that finally got smoothed out. And then there's the other side of the story, where there's lots of wrinkles, lots of warts, you know, <laughs> pimples, wounds, <laughs> and really dark stuff that's happened in our lives that we're less comfortable sharing. And um, I think this holy night, um, when we hear it on Christmas, I think in general in Christmas music, I think what Christmas music allows us to do, and I think part of the reason why we love Christmas, is we're looking back over the past year, and it's giving us a chance to sort through all this stuff that's happened that a lot of times feels wrinkly, thorny, messed up, broken. And within the context of this beauty of this story of, of Jesus and, and what's happening and God doing a new thing, that somehow we're able to kind of make sense of it and we're able to sort of see the threads of love peace joy and hope that kind of weave through and and then our story um yes it has wrinkles but it has some sort of capacity to be uh held together so my hope is uh that first of all the holy night I, that uh yeah you can think about the beautiful but also the wrinkles and and the way in which those kind of um and the thorns the way in which those go together in the bible in this hymn, its history, and then in your life. O Holy Night has the capacity to, uh, the lyrics and the music together, to sort of draw us into contemplation. And it's, again, not surprising that the hymn was written in a carriage ride when somebody was contemplating the story of Jesus' birth. But there's another reason why it gained traction. And the other reason why it gained traction is because it became part of a social justice movement in the 1800s. Remember, this is 1847, 1840s, 1850s, and the, the big topic, uh, you know, the consuming topic at that point is abolition. Uh, 
and anti-slavery, right? This is pre-Civil War, and things are heating up in America. And so there is an American pastor, uh, John uh, Sullivan Dwight, uh, who, who hears these, hears the French, and he translates it into English. And before I get to the translation, I just want to sort of go back to the abolitionist movement for a second. What's happening in, in America is that uh, the abolitionist movement is really driven by religion. And it's people who are saying, look, all humans are created in the image of God. This whole slavery thing is a problem. It's abhorrent uh, to the teachings of Jesus, to the overall sort of arc of, of the Bible towards sort of a freedom in God. Um, and, and again, this image, this idea that we're all made in the image of God. And there's actually a, a medallion that Quakers had that showed a picture of a slave. And it said, am I not a man and a brother? Well, so, so that's sort of what's in the background. And then here comes uh, this John Dwight Sullivan, and he translates this, and, and he actually puts a little bit of a more bite on the French. I mean, the French does include the word redeemer a number of times, and redemption is including sort of emancipation from slavery. But, but, he, uh, but what he does is he, he translates them this latter verse, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And you can hear now that idea of the slave as our brother. Like that's a rallying cry for abolitionists, that these are, are humans, that they're related to us. They're um, by, by virtue of creation and even by, by virtue of redemption, that Christ has died for them as well. How can I own somebody whom Jesus Christ has died to set free? And then also, in his name, oppression shall cease. There's, there's a, a sense here that we have to, to move ourselves in this direction, that this isn't just something that's going to come from heaven per se, but it's, it's going to sort of um, enjoin us into action. For most of us, we don't think of, of Christmas as a time of sort of deep social reflection, um, although there there are a number of, of even hymns and carols written in the 20th and 21st century, which still kind of carry on, um, you know, this, this voice that the Christmas isn't just about sentimentality, but somehow is about social action. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the one about Snoopy and the Red Barons sort of on, on Christmas Day, um, or um, there, there's another really, there's another couple other good ones. The story in Matthew's Gospel also um, explains and, and sets Jesus' birth within a time of, of great social agitation. Uh, the second chapter, in fact, right after Jesus is born, uh, King Herod is there, and Herod wants to, um, ends up killing these babies in an effort to kill Jesus, and Jesus and his family have to flee, basically become refugees in Egypt, and then, and then uh, go back. So the Bible has a sort of a heavy social connotation to it, right? Or, or even in Luke's gospel, sort of the imperial uh, census that was actually outlawed by Jewish law. There's, there's so much sort of, again, of a social context that, again, at Christmas, we sort of just want to pull that away often and just really have almost sentimentality. And, and the Gospel of Matthew, I think, of, really pushes against that, that sentimentality and says, hey, this is, 
the world needs a real savior because the world has oppression. The world has injustice. The world has kings. And, and ultimately, the Jesus movement is going to be about inviting us into to, to working towards that. So I just want to put a, how, how comfortable are you with that? Is that uncomfortable for a social protest song at, at Christmas? Can you see why people might have been uncomfortable about this 107 years ago when, when abolition was the sort of the issue of the day? But there's still at least one more chapter, one more uh, cool quirk about the history of this hymn that is uh, worth sharing. In 1906, so about maybe 70 years after the hymn, was written. There was an inventor, and his name uh, is Reginald Fessenden. And uh, he knew Thomas Edison. And uh, anyway, he he's working on a way to move from the transmission of Morse code to the actual transmission uh, over radio waves of human voice. And he's finally figured it out. And so on Christmas Eve, he begins to broadcast. And he actually begins by reading the Christmas story from Luke's gospel. And when he's done, he uh, gets out his violin and he plays O Holy Night. So this is, so O Holy Night is actually the very first song that's transmitted uh, over the radio, right? And uh, which is just really cool to think about sort of the spread then of of this message. And, you know, in, in Matthew's gospel, um, we, first of all, there is a global context for it. I mean, the kings that are listed were not just in Israel, they were all over Mesopotamia. Um, and then Jesus himself is going to have to flee to Egypt and come back. And, and then even it's the, the Magi who are coming likely from all the way from Persia. So there's this real universal sense of what's happening. But even in Matthew's gospel, there's a realization that not everybody's going to speak the same language that Mary and Joseph did because Matthew will again and again have to say throughout his gospel, but even in the Christmas story, um, you know, Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And this message has needed to be translated uh, and in the case of this hymn, this translation from uh, English, from French into English, would prove sort of a galvanizing force for the American abolitionist movement. And there's also something, again, then really sort of global about this, where it's sort of a, a Jewish person who's living in France, who writes this music that's then sort of caught uh, up by an American who's likely, uh, I don't know, he probably even found it when he was in England. So, you know, th- there's this whole sort of quirky way in which it kind of gets there, and, and now it's sort of being the first thing broadcast uh, over, the, over the air. Again, this translation of the message. Um, and so what I want to maybe try to tie this all together with then is that the, the person who asked me uh, if I could research this hymn, I said, you know, what are hymns that I could look up, said that the first time they heard this hymn, it was on the, um, it was on the Christmas special of South Park. For those who don't know what South Park is, it's this totally crass American comic that was pretty popular maybe 20, 20 years ago. Um, it's just vulgar and offensive with pretty bad drawings. Um, but in this one episode, this one person uh, sings, Oh Holy Night. 
and his name is Cartman, and he's this really vulgar, kind of like heavy set uh, South Park kid. And he sings this terrible version of Oh Holy Night, which again, you can go online and look at. But my friend uh, listened to this and said, when I heard that, I just knew that there was something beautiful there and I really wanted to listen to the real version. And so in this case, this person was uh, evangelized by South Park, uh, seeking in some ways even to mock this most beautiful of hymns. And what a beautiful summary here about this hymn, the story of Matthew and, and the story of the gospel in our lives, where we have this human hardness of heart we have our sort of our wayward relationship with God, yet it turns out that in Jesus Christ, God is Emmanuel, God with us, even uh, in our sins and in our brokenness, and that he has come, as uh, the, the carol says, as our Redeemer, or as Matthew says, as Jesus, which translated means uh, God saves us. So I hope that was, uh, there's so much fascinating. Now go listen to the hymn because it's a beautiful hymn and uh, reflect. But if you have any other further hymns, uh, let me know and we'll, we'll try, to, try to keep doing them. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease.